Many of you are, uh, probably are not familiar with who I am, but that's okay because I'm not familiar with you either. <laughs> I'm just as green and as new here as probably some of you who are visiting. I just came along here in the last three weeks as the new young adult and college minister, or what we acronym to as the YAK. And uh, we picked it, the little yak as the, the animal, I guess, as our mascot because it made sense for young adult in college. But what our ministry is designed for is people who are from the ages of roughly 18 to 30. Once you've gotten out of high school, maybe you're going to college, maybe you're going to the workforce, whatever it may be, we'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights as we continue to try to learn how to grow into Christ and with Christ and with each other. Uh, we have a rafting trip that's coming up on the 25th that we're looking to do. It's $20 if you would like to join us in that. Come see me or come to class for more information. We're also looking at doing a drive-in movie over in, I believe it's Dade County, Georgia, on the 17th. And for classes, for Wednesday nights, we're doing Financial Peace University. It's a class that's designed to help us manage God's money. And it's especially helpful for young people who maybe didn't learn how to balance a checkbook or learn how to use a debit or a credit card. Maybe you've taken out student loans and you want to know how to manage that. Life's not all about money, but it does make it a lot easier if you have peace of mind. And that's something that we're focusing in on Wednesday nights. And on Sunday mornings, after this Sunday, we're going to get to the book of James, where we're going to get to more of a practical matters of what James had to write about us. But as I'm the minister for the young adult and college students, I think, what's of the mind of a young adult and college student? Um, we're just a group of young people that's trying to launch our lives now that we're out from our parents and we're on our own, and we're trying to live for God to learn how to obey God's will. And sometimes that's tough, especially with today's society. I mean, every generation has their problems, but especially with this one as we face the movement of the postmodernism and the things that come with that, asking questions, is there a truth? Can we find a truth? Or should we, leave, should we just live our truth if there is such a thing? These questions tend to bother people our age and wonder, how is it that we're supposed to orient ourselves in the world, especially trying to live faithfully to God? But with young adults, this is not just a problem for us, it seems, but it's also, it seems to be a problem with the majority of Americans in today's uh, widespread of Christendom, of how is it that we try to make a relation with God and His church in today's times? Uh, especially for us young adults, we don't want something that's superficial. We want something that's real, something that's tangible, something that we can hold on to with our faith. And sometimes it's a struggle. And if you will turn to the next slide, one of the things that I found in Gallup polls, which is a polling center, they asked a group of people who presented themselves as faithful religious, and they asked a series of questions, one of which that I found was, how often do you attend church? 26% of this group said every week, 28% seldom attend church, 20% said never, and while 25% said every other week or every other month. And these are from a group of people who claim to be of a religious of some sort. And this gives us kind of a framework or an idea of what it is that we're looking at with people who are religious. And you look at this next slide about the next question is, what do you think about God and His church? Do you believe in God? Well, 89% of these people said, yes, I believe in God. But while 41% of that said that they have confidence in the church. I found that to be an interesting statistic, is that there are so many people who believe in God, but not even half of them have confidence in the church. And while statistics and polling data, we can't ever figure out why people vote the way they do. We can't figure out a lot of the motives in there. It's what I like to think of as the mystery of these statistics. But one of the things that 
some authors and some writers in the church have concluded is that maybe people are just aren't as connected as they ought to be with the church family. Maybe people are losing that connection. If you will, turn to the next slide. One of the books that I read in college while at Faulkner University by a man named Greg Odom, he wrote a book called Transforming Discipleship. And he puts it in his own theory thinking that maybe one of the things that we should strive to be more involved in is in discipleship, making connections with the people that we already have in the congregation because maybe it is that we're not connecting as well. And he writes in the back of this book, he says, many church leaders yearning for church growth look to the latest evangelistic strategies or seeker-targeted worship services, but lack of growth might not be due to lack of concern for new people. It may be because we're not effectively discipling the people we already have. So he states throughout this book, his theory is that maybe we should get back to a biblical principle of discipling people. And maybe we shouldn't be as focused on trying to reach everyone else in the community, but maybe we should focus interior or inside the doors and focus on the people that we have. And so obviously, when it comes to this question, okay, maybe discipleship's the solution for trying to get more people connected with the church, get people more connected with God in the relationship. You have to ask the fundamental question, well, how do we disciple? And so in his book, and as what most people believe is, well, you need to start with Scripture. What does Scripture have to say about this? You have to even start with a more fundamental question. Well, what is the purpose for the Bible in the first place? Because there's a lot of misconceptions about, well, what is the Bible for? Especially for young adults who may not be as familiar with it. It's often viewed as a, a big rule book of telling you what things, what you should do or what not to do. That's not exactly what it is. I love what uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. In one of those verses, in uh, verse 16, he says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. And for what, though? I believe it's teaching us about who God and Jesus is. It's for reproof, showing us what sin is and what it does to our lives for correcting that sin that we have in our lives, and then training us to be righteous. You've heard it said before, be holy for I am holy. You've heard Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. The purpose of God's divine will is to show us how to have a relationship with Him. One of the most fundamental things that we have to come into this relationship with is understand that we have sin in our lives. We've all done something that's wrong, and that's separated us from God. But how's the way that we correct that? Well, it's with Jesus. And it's with Jesus is the whole reason that everyone's here today, because of His saving grace. And we use the Scripture through that God that gave us is to teach us about how to have a relationship with Him, how to show us the sin that we have in our life, to correct that part, and then train us to be righteous. It's almost exactly like to become like Christ, as Paul said, be imitators of me, as I am imitators of Christ. We go to the next slide. If you look, think of the very first step of what it takes to disciple someone, what's the very first step it takes with building this relationship? We have to come to this one obvious point is that we can't connect with everyone. In John 6, Jesus at the very top of that, he's feeding the 5,000. And then later he leaves and on the next day, these same people are still about him, waiting for him to teach. And then he goes into this discord, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, but I have the bread that comes down from heaven. He's talking to Jewish people, telling them of what Moses gave to him, but I'm the one that's going to bring you salvation. But then, after these people who have seen Jesus feed 5,000 people miraculously, the same people looked at him and said, we don't like what you have to say. 
Who can understand it? And then they leave. And then Jesus looks to Peter and says, will you leave now too? And Peter says, most famously, Lord, where will we have to go? You have the words of life. We can't connect with everyone, but we can connect with the people who are listening. We can connect with the people who are searching, the very same people who may be in our congregation, the very same people who are looking for something to connect with. These are the people who we especially want to target. These are especially the people that we want to disciple to. And another point to make is that uh, when we're connecting with these people, it's always easier to connect with someone who you have relation with. It's, it's easy for us to, when we come together, to talk about our favorite uh, sports teams or what happened with the Cavaliers and the Warriors the other night and what's going to happen tonight with the basketball game. But sometimes it's hard to ask them, where are you in your spiritual life? How is your prayer life? What have you been reading lately in God's Word? People are here, they're looking for a connection. These are things that we ought to prod people, we ought to be looking for to make a connection to get them in a serious uh, conversation about Christ. And another uh, fundamental thing before is that you want to have groups of three or more. It's very profitable to not just have two. It, many of us have ministry groups. We already have uh, Bible classes we go to. We're in groups together where we already are talking to people, already communicating with people. We should be able to have an easy connection. But the next point is communication. Once we've come together, once you've connected with someone, you've already been doing service opportunities. Maybe you went on a mission trip with them. Maybe you went to Bible camp with them, so on. The next point is we have to communicate with each other. Besides the fact that we talk about the usual things that go on in our lives, we talk about what has been going on in our lives that maybe we don't want to talk about as much. Maybe something that's been going on with our family. Maybe the, a sin that we're struggling in with life. Maybe with something that is a little deeper, more profound. And sometimes that's hard because it allows us to be vulnerable. And vulnerability is something that we don't always encourage to do. We want to be able to open up to people, but at the same time, we don't want people to view us to see that we have things that are wrong with our lives, that we struggle with something. One of the most fundamental parts of discipleship is to be able to open up to someone, another friend, and say, I have this struggle in my life, and I like to pray about it. Prayer is especially powerful when we do it together. Prayer is especially a strength that we have when we do it together. When we take things to God, when we take things to Him, it allows our discipleship to be greater. It allows us to grow together. And then with the next part, when we have already communicated with each other, when we've talked to God, when we look at the next slide, then that's the purpose of when we go to God's Word. And that's where the transformation happens. That's what Mr. Ogden says. That's what many other scholars believe is that when we truly think of how to be imitators of Christ, it really does start with learning about who Christ is. Once we communicate with each other, once we built that relationship, once we pray together, then it's time to see who Jesus is. Again, when we look at 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, we notice that Paul is telling Timothy, all scriptures breathe out by God, proper for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. The best place for us to start with this, if you don't know where to start in scripture, is start with one of the gospels, particularly with John. John's a very easy one to talk to, and he talks a lot about love and about the love of Christ. That's a great place for us to learn about who Jesus is. And then we also, when we get into these studies with people, for example, of how this transformation starts, one of the biggest problems that we'll face in life is how do we deal with sin? Once now we're in Christ, Christ has taken away our sins, but we still battle with it on a basis to try to, on a daily basis for the daily conflict of temptation. What's the one way that I can halt that temptation? Matthew chapter 4. 
give you an example of how the Bible solves our problems. In Matthew chapter 4, in chapter 3, Jesus was just baptized, and God came out and said, this is my beloved son for whom I am well pleased. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness. But there's something more to it besides he goes there for 40 days and the devil tempts him. He gives us the biblical formula of how to fight temptation. He, the devil, ironically enough, throws scripture at him, but every time Jesus responds, he says, for it is written in scripture, and he does not sin. And if you look at Jesus' early life, he was studying in scripture. He was even in the temple and the synagogues talking with teachers when he had left his parents. And we all know that's never a good thing for us, for us to, little kids to leave our parents, especially when we're in the mall. But here Jesus, he's the one who ran off to go talk and to study God's word for a purpose. Because he left and he was able to combat sin later in his life. And if you look at Psalm 119, one of the greatest psalms that you'll ever read in scripture, because it's very definitive about how we handle these things, especially with Scripture, who we believe that David was the one who may have wrote this one. It starts at verse 1 of Psalm 119. It says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. So here he introduces this in Psalm 119. He states that it is good for us to study God's word. It's good for us to meditate on his precepts for the fact that we keep his commandments and we do them diligently. In verse 7 he says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes and do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? And he asks this question, and he gives the answer right before, right after it. But he asks that great question for all of us, who are, most of us are not particularly young. We all have different stages in our lives, but especially for a young man who is starting out in his world, how hard it is for us to stay pure with all the temptation that's around us. And he tells us in verse 9, By guarding it according to your word, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up with your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. Here we have an example of where Scripture does actually answer some of our problems, particularly with this very tough problem of temptation. When we think of discipleship, part of that is what getting into God's word, seeing what God has to say about a matter, and then applying it to our lives. And Jesus did this beautifully with his application that when the devil did try to come tempt him in the foolishness thinking that he could tempt the Son of God, he was able to combat it with God's word, his commandments. That's something that's powerful that when we go out and do our discipleship with someone, it's a very significant focus that we have. So when we think of this, to put it in three simple ways, we talk to each other, we build our relationship together, we communicate and then we talk to God. We allow Him to be involved in our lives. We communicate to Him. We open ourselves up to Him for Him to help us. And then we let God talk to us. What does God have to say about something? What is it that He can tell me that will allow me to live my life in a better way, service to Him? And then, with Brother Johnny, what he said earlier, I, you can't give a better illustration of this than when we have two great members who are loved and who will be missed when they move on. If there's nothing else you can take from the lesson, it's the fact that discipleship is all about relationships. It's all about the fact that 
We're looking to grow together, looking to grow with each other, we're looking to grow with Christ. And it's always great when we can see members of the church who are so loved that we make a comment that let's send them a gift card that only works in Chattanooga so we can get them back here so we can see them again. And that's what the church is about. That's what family is about. And that's exactly the relationship that God wants us to have. And he's given us a formula to how to do it. We talk to each other. We then talk to God. Then we let God talk to us. We live through our lives. We grow old together. And then together we'll be in heaven. If we can follow that formula, I'm very certain that we'll be okay. That's definitely the lesson I'm trying to convey to you today is that discipleship seems to be, at least with a lot of churches, to be a lost practice. But it's something that we can bring back. And it's something that can truly grow us in spirit and then grow us in the community to see what we're all about. Today, there's an opportunity and invitation that's traditionally given that if anybody has any needs, any prayers or anything at all, or maybe you've thought, maybe I want to be a part of this. Uh, we have a baptistry here that you can be baptized. We checked last night, the water's actually warm when me and Jen over here. There's no fear about it. But if also, if you have any questions, maybe about how to go about this discipleship, find me, find an elder, find a minister, ask these questions. How is it that we progress our spiritual lives? But if there's a need for you to come forward today, you can come today as we stand and as we sing.